The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of... Yeah, it's that bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. This is a show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2010's Sucker Punch, directed by Zack Snyder, starring Emily Browning, Abby Cornish, Jenna Malone, Vanessa Hudgens, Jamie Chung, Carla Gugino, Oscar Isaac, John Hamm, and Scott Glenn. Sucker Punch is a 2011 action fantasy thriller film. This movie currently holds a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? A young girl is locked away in a mental asylum by her abusive stepfather where she will undergo a lobotomy in five days time. Faced with unimaginable odds, she retreats to a fantastical world in her imagination where she and four other female inmates at the asylum plot to escape the facility. The lines between reality and fantasy blur as Baby Doll and her four companions as well as a mysterious guide fight to retrieve the five items they need that will allow them to break free from their captors before it's too late. Okay, Martin, so Sucker Punch. This was the winner of the listener's choice poll. This was the most successful and most highly contested listener's choice poll ever. Over 100 people voted and the votes were extremely close. There was a period where it was tied for like a couple days straight and I was very impressed. I know that a lot of people wanted us to watch this movie. Yeah, it's one of our most requested. So what's your history with this? I've never seen it before and I didn't even actually get exposed too much to the ad campaign of this movie. I knew... I knew Zack Snyder was doing a movie that was very heavy on visuals at the time, but other than that, I saw very little in relation to the movie when it was in theaters. I never wanted to see this movie. I saw the trailers for it. I remember when I first saw the trailer for it, I I said to myself, wow, this looks like a video game. Who knew how close that would be to the reality? Marlon, what do you think of Zack Snyder? I really enjoyed 300. I thought it was phenomenal. I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, Frank Miller. That Watchmen movie, it's kind of a... Yeah, yeah. Oh boy, that's that's a controversial one. Maybe we'll do that one on the show. I don't know. I think you know how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm well aware. I I had one of the most harrowing experiences with The Watchmen when I went to go see it, and I... Martin was on Suicide Watch. I made every mistake in the book when it comes to watching a book adaptation of a movie, but... um, So do you like his style? His... Speeding up, slowing down. Speeding up, slowing down. I liked it in 300. I feel like it's kind of like a one-trick pony, very similar to... uh, Yeah, I'm ready to retire the speed ramping. I I think it's time to retire it. I'm going to go as far as to say that Zack Snyder is the Chuck Palahniuk of directing. Yeah, one... one one, one, one trick pony. That's a controversial thing. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay, Marlon, let's do what we always do at the top of the show and discuss the actors one by one. We'll see how you thought they did. Okay, Emily Browning. You know, like, I was really surprised to see how little she spoke in this movie. So was I. She had, what, 15 lines? Yeah. Maybe? And they were were very spaced out, far apart. And they were, like, essentially two sentences, three sentences max, and then she'd stop talking, and they would go, like, another 20 minutes before she'd speak again. Like, her character's name was Baby Doll, and that pretty much is what she was in this movie. She was a living doll. Yeah, she, oh, man, her face was porcelain-esque. She did look like a porcelain doll, and she was just standing around looking pretty. That's all she had to do in this movie. We, we mentioned in the, the Knowing episode how female characters, they never have anything to do. Now here's a movie where it's nothing but, but female, female characters, characters and they still didn't give their heroine anything to say of any substance. She didn't even like really interact with the other actresses as much as I thought she was going to either. And you know, the, the thing about all these women that I'm sad to say, even though that they're the leads, there is no point in even discussing them because they said nothing, very little at all. Like, 
like the one girl, Jamie Chung, she she was Amber. She said nothing in this movie. And uh, most of the other ones, they just kind of were there. Like Vanessa Hudgens, she didn't do anything. They essentially could have been any attractive girl. That's true. That's right. The roles didn't really demand them to have any kind of personality. This is essentially an action movie, but all female. At the very least, I mean, they'll give Bruce Willis things to say and he'll interact with other characters and he's That's a male a action star. That's a very good point. But these, these women don't even have that. And I find that actually kind of insulting to the actresses and the way that this movie was constructed. All right, let's talk about some of the other people, like the adults that were in this movie. Uh, Carla Gugino, she's back. She made yeah. her triumphant <laughs> return to the show. We first encountered her as the crippled, brain-dead, mute mother <laughs> in The Unborn. <laughs> And now she, <laughs> she, she, she fared better in this movie. She wasn't, she, she wasn't blown up. <laughs> she was terrible. I thought in this absolutely terrible. I thought Carla Gugino was the worst part of Watchmen and she's the worst part of this. Like her acting. Carla Gugino is, is Silk Spectre. Yeah. In, in, the in Watchmen. The, the, the mom. mom. Yes. Her acting was horrendous. In Unbelievable. Movie. Yeah. It was terrible. And in this movie, they gave her like this Russian accent for no reason whatsoever. No reason at all. No, she was supposed to be like a, you know, Russian ballerina. Yeah, great. Really ex, great. Ex-ballerina. Terrible. Oh, okay. Terrible. Right. The only other person who had a, a better Russian accent was Harrison Ford and K-19, oh the Widowmaker. <laughs> okay, these uh, and these other people, there was um, John Hamm from Mad Men was in it for a couple seconds. The bad guy was this guy called Oscar Isaac. I'm going to say that he was the best part of this movie. He had the most he personality. Had the most, he had the most personality. He had the most lines. He had the best mustache out of all the characters. He had one of the best mustaches I've ever seen. Hell yeah. He was, he, his character I feel was lifted straight out of Gone with the Wind and then plopped into this movie. And finally, Scott Glenn, he was the wise man. Whatever. <laughs> that's, that's what I have to say about that character. What, whatever. Okay. All right, Martin, let me regale you with the tale of the history of Sucker Punch. Slightly abridged because the history of this thing goes on and on and on. Sucker Punch is described by Snyder as Alice in Wonderland with machine guns. Snyder decided to go with an all-female cast with this film, saying that I already did the all-male cast with 300, so I'm doing the opposite end of the spectrum. Amanda Seyfried was the first choice for Baby Doll, but she dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. Emma Stone was in early talks to star as Amber, but dropped out to star in Easy A, and Angelina Jolie was considered for the role of Dr. Vera Gorski. Snyder expressed his interest in the film's content. On the other hand, though it's fetishistic and personal, I like to think that my fetishes aren't that obscure. Who doesn't want to see girls running down the trenches of World War One wreaking havoc? I'd always had an interest in those worlds. Comic books, fantasy art, animated wait, films. Wait, 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 wait. Let me stop you right there. Have you ever had that thought? You Have, have you ever thought that, hey, I want to see girls running down the trenches of World War One? That's not your fetish? That is bizarre. <laughs> who, has, who has ever thought of that? That's almost insane. <laughs> okay. I'd like to see this. That's how I approach everything. And then keep pushing it from there. Snyder wanted to design the movie as something with no limits. Considering that he co-wrote the script from an original idea, he added that he wanted it to be a cool story, not just like a video game where you're loose and going nuts. The film received a PG-13 rating. To avoid an R rating, a sex scene was cut. Browning said, I had a very tame and mild love scene with John Hamm. I think it's great for this young girl to actually take control of her own sexuality, she added. The MPAA got Zack to edit the scene and make it look less like she's into it. Zack said he edited it down to the point where it looked like he was taking advantage 
advantage of her. That's the only way he could get a PG-13 rating. And he said, I don't want to send that message. Sucker Punch grossed $19 million in its first weekend, an opening that placed it second place, right behind Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules. Ooh. <sighs> that hurts. I think the movie cost something like $60 million to make, and it eventually made $68 million, so it just barely. Yeah, but it That's lost, a flop. To, it That's lost a, it, it lost to a to Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's a moral loss. <laughs> <laughs> that's like getting sucker punched in the nuts. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Martin, Sucker Punch. Where do we begin? This movie has a bit of an interesting story structure. I guess we might as well just start from the top and work our way into it. The movie introduces the characters, Emily Browning, her sister, and apparently her stepfather and mother, who is on her deathbed. The mother dies. The doctor informs Emily Browning that her mother has passed away and she comes running into the room in super slow-mo. <laughs> of course. And, yeah, of course. And in the background, we're treated to a cover song of Sweet Dreams for the Arrhythmics, sung by our very own Emily, Emily Browning. Browning. Who knew she had singing talent? I didn't, because she doesn't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Emily, I like your acting, but leave the singing to the Arrhythmics. <laughs> We might as well just say this now because all the songs in this movie are cover songs of famous songs, very well known. Right. And they were not good. They were very bad. Not good at all. It, very it, it jarring. Actually, it right? took the background music actually took me out of the movie. Yeah, when they did Where Is My Mind by the Pixies, that Ooh, was just like man. It was horrible. That covering the Pixies is uh that's kind of like a no-go zone for me. Obviously, this is a stylistic choice. Right. But it was a bad choice. Oh, so this movie starts off with a Hyper stylized rape sequence. <laughs> oh, Zack Snyder applied his super slow mo speed ramping tricks to a girl getting raped by her stepfather. That's how this movie starts off. Very cheerful way to kick this thing off. It raped my eyes, I, I guess, would be a good way to put it. It was very disturbing. I would almost say that it glorified it the way it was shot. <laughs> Remember when like her he ripped her shirt and like her button came off and it was like <laughs> we're landing on the floor. When I say disturbing, I mean disturbing in the way that it was shown as like an action sequence, like it was something that was going to be entertaining. You're right, her button did fly off, but it flew off like King Leonidas <laughs> threw threw his shield at at like King Xerxes. It was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's how this thing starts off. Real happy note. After that, it cuts to Emily Browning busting back in through the door because she escapes her room. She was locked inside of it. She and goes to protect her little sister from being raped. She has a gun. Now, this is where it was really confusing the way it was shot. I didn't understand if Emily Browning missed and shot her sister by mistake or if her sister was already killed by the stepfather after he raped her. I was confused by that as well because she just shot the light fixture, right? And it blew out. Yeah, and super slow-mo again. It shows the filament of the light being incinerated as the bowl breaks. The way she reacted when she picked up her sister, she was surprised that she was dead. So was I, because it looked like she pointed her gun like up in the air. And unless the bullet ricocheted all over the room in a manner that I didn't notice, I didn't see it actually hitting the sister. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the bullet ricocheted in odds that defied even the Kennedy assassination. Somehow the stepfather pays his way out of trouble and forces Emily Browning into an 
1940s style insane asylum. By the way, I just want to say that I love the look of the sets and the costumes of this movie. So Emily Browning is taken to this insane asylum. It looks like Shutter Island, like the way these people are running around. And, and it's I guess it's an insane asylum for all girls. So this is when we get treated to what the actual threat of the movie is, which is kind of interesting because the conflict is set up now in the beginning and it doesn't really come back until the end. And this is like, what, a two and a half hour movie or something? The bookends are the conflict being set up and the conflict being resolved. The hour plus stuff in between pretty much doesn't even touch upon it. What's going on is that because Emily Browning accidentally killed her sister, the stepfather doesn't want anybody to know what was going on. He wants to be able to get away scot-free. So he bribes an orderly to set it up in such a way that Emily Browning will eventually become lobotomized in five days when John Hamm's character shows up. So that is the conflict. Emily Browning has to accomplish whatever it is she's trying to do within five days. So the way this movie is structured is Emily Browning exists in the real world. She's in this insane asylum. And apparently to escape the horrors of being in the insane asylum, she kind of disassociates herself and enters this fantasy world that she's created. And from within that fantasy world, she enters an even deeper fantasy. She's in a fantasy world. And then from there, she goes deeper into what Zack Snyder referred to as a uh, video game, video game game esque fantasy world. This one we're treated to the dream world. It's that of a, like a nightclub slash burlesque dungeon slash prison slash rape factory. I don't know. I mean, what was this place? It was like a burlesque prison sex slave. I don't even understand exactly what it was. It, it seemed like these girls were captured, enslaved, and then brought there by priests. Yeah, so these all these girls are prisoners. Emily Browning, her they gave her the nickname of Baby Doll, and she encounters her with four or so other friends. They were Amber, Sweet Pea, Rocket, and Blondie. So when we meet them, we kind of enter this Black Swan-esque dance studio, which I don't even understand Like, what the point of this is. Who cares? That is the ultimate question about Sucker Punch, is, and that's going to come up a lot. Who cares? I mean, I was watching them learn how to dance in a ballet studio, and I was like, why do I care about this? What does this have to do with the story? Nothing. Exactly, nothing. So you're given a lot of information and a lot of like background to their ballet teacher, their going through like dance training, and this this place and it ultimately is irrelevant. Let's just go straight into like the fantasy sections of this movie because the burlesque house stuff is pretty irrelevant. Yet the fantasy stuff is even more irrelevant. I don't I I don't actually even understand what this what's going on here though because like they're in a burlesque house so you would imagine that they would try to keep the the women there attractive looking. So it would make sense for them not to be crawling on their knees scrubbing floors and hauling giant sacks of produce and around beating them up and beating them up. So from a business standpoint that makes no sense, but, but keep in mind this is Emily Browning's fantasy. She is fantasizing about herself being raped and beaten and that her buddies are being raped and beaten. Is this a fantasy or a nightmare and i feel that the next level down the video game-esque is overcoming that so emily browning is forced to join this dance group and (laughs) (laughs) she was forced to join the fly girls yeah yeah at gunpoint and they force her to dance he goes all right dance do it and then emily browning does her the dance of the seven veils which they don't show us they just show they never show the dance they show her rocking back and forth like an out of two like like like, a drunken bum she sways (laughs) back and forth like a wayward sailor walking back Back off the dock. She is just <laughs> rocking back and forth like an out of sync metronome. I wouldn't even classify that. 
as movement, let alone a dance. If that's a dance, then every time I reorient myself in my chair at, <laughs> at, at, at work, I am performing an erotic dance. So then, of course, the camera zooms into her face fast and then slow. <sighs> that's the entrance scene into the next level down, which is the video game-esque. Yeah, this is the nerd wet dream. The nerd fantasy. You, was this like your dream come true? You know, it's funny you should say that because I actually was thinking that <laughs> while I was watching this. Level one. <laughs> Feudal Japan. <laughs> Because that's what it is. It's like yeah, listening yeah, yeah, to yeah. Peter on the bush. She's, yeah. she's in a video game and she's going into this yeah, dojo. She's, she's in, she she goes into Bushido Blade. Or, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she goes inside this dojo. She meets the wise man who's this old man who I got a beef to pick <laughs> with this guy. I didn't know who his character was supposed to be. Was he supposed to be Bill from Kill Bill? He was very similar. Even the cadence in his speech was almost identical. This character, the wise man, he would pop in throughout the movie and and drop little pearls of wisdom on the girls. And they were always- That's what you're going to call them? Pearls of wisdom? They were more like non sequiturs, right? He would just say these things. They were worse than like Arnold Schwarzenegger puns. They were were worse than that. How do you do that? I have a couple of them right here. Uh, Let me drop some knowledge on you. Yes, please. You need to be enlightened because you're one of the unwashed rabble. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You're my dad? (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever write a check with your mouth. You can't cash with your ass. For those who... (laughs) (laughs) For those who fight for it, life has a flavor the sheltered will never know. Whenever he says these things, they have nothing to do with what's actually happening. I think that's because there is nothing of any content that's going on in those scenes. Nothing. They create these fictitious goals that you would have to get, like, the star at the end of a level in Super Mario yeah, 64. She, she, he, he tells her, like, listen, if you want to get out of here, you got to collect these five items. Just like in a game. Yeah, yeah. It's just like Banjo-Kazooie. So she's she's got to go run around. Go to the, yeah, go to the level, beat the boss, collect the item, move on to the next level, repeat. Okay, so the first of the fantasy sequences in in feudal Japan are Emily Browning. She has to fight these three 12-foot-tall samurai demons. demons. And you know what? When this started up, I'm like, okay, this might be pretty cool. Emily Browning's got a sword. There's that really cool shot, a wide shot of Emily Browning. It's like a very parallel and Emily Browning is standing still and like the, the first demon comes up to her and he has this really long spear and it's like dragging against the ground. Yeah. It looked really cool. I'm like, man, this, is, this might be pretty good. But then all my hopes and dreams were dead. Were in an instant because this demon kicks Emily Browning in the chest Nicolas Cage style <laughs> sends her flying through a wall yeah it was actually a samurai wearing a bear suit. suit yeah and it kicked her so hard she flew through the air and when she landed on the ground the concrete like exploded as if she was a satellite orbiting the earth and she crashed on our planet that's what it looked like so uh, it looked like she took severe amount of damage but instead she just gets up and then continues to fight yeah she dusts off her shoulders and that's it right off the bat that's a problem giving your character no weaknesses? Yeah, so we've just set up the concept that the main character in these fantasy sequences, she is indestructible. Where is there going to be a conflict? Where is the tension going to be? The only interesting thing about these scenes was the CG. Very talented people worked on this. Yeah, it was very good. And then the actual explosions themselves were entertaining, I guess. And by the way, yes, I did think like some of the stuff that was going on during the sequence is like, oh man, (laughs) I fantasize about this all the time. (laughs) Like when she powered up, 
and she had like that aura around her. Yeah, yeah, and the, then the snow was the blowing. Air. I was like, <laughs> it's right out of my fantasies. This pretty much bloodless, pointless, conflict-free, tensionless battle sequence. Oh, that's really interesting. None of the characters in this le- in any of the levels have blood. Are any of them even alive? Because in the World War One scene, they're zombies that are powered by steam. None of them are even living people because there's robots. True. That's true. That's true. That's got to be for the PG-13 rating. <sighs> That takes another conflict out of the scene. <laughs> now I don't even care if these things explode because they're not alive in the first place. She's just destroying pointless. She might as well go around with a hammer and break rocks. Yeah, so she defeats these things, no problem. And that's it. And then she moves on back to the burlesque house. And apparently she has to go and do four more of these things because she has to get... Right, and a fifth mystery thing that, I don't know. What could it possibly be? I wrote down this interesting note here. Let's see if we can tackle this question. This is what I wrote down. I wrote, what is the difference between this and Inception? Why do I care about one but not the other? Both have the same problem of taking place in a fantasy world, so who really cares? And both have fairly high stakes. Right, but Inception continues to cut back between the fantasy world to the actual real world to let you know that there is a consequence to every action that they make in every world that they're in. Whereas in this movie, there is no consequence to any of the actions. Even when we go into the burlesque house where you're like, is this real? Is this fake? because that was something that kind of bothered me. I wasn't sure if her being in the insane asylum was going to be shown to be an an illusion or if the burlesque house was real. Even that I didn't care about. Yeah, I I actually wrote down the same thing. Like, why aren't they cutting back to the real world? I think that's a missed opportunity. That would have given it more impact if we got to see the real Emily Browning, like struggling with uh, inner demons or whatever. Just like she struggled with her inner demons in the insane asylum in The Uninvited. Wow, thanks, Joel. Cool. (laughs) Great. Great. She cuts back to the insane asylum. The dance is over. And guess what, Joel? It was the best dance they've ever seen. Yeah, they're like cheering and hooting and hollering. They're like wiping tears from their eyes. Yeah, yeah, people are crying. Yeah, guy's on his knees. He's like breaking a guy. Oh my God, that was amazing. You know, at first I thought it was kind of annoying that they didn't show the dance, but I think ultimately it's probably for the best that they don't show it. Whatever it really was probably isn't going to be. That's interesting because were you going to say live up to your expectations? Because I I, I had none. So the dance she did for real was perfect for you. Yeah, because everything that was going on in this movie didn't matter to me. Even as I was watching it, it didn't set up a question as to like, well, what's going to happen to her if this doesn't work out? Because they never cut back to the real world to show you any type of consequence. Thinking back to that Inception question, at least in Inception, even though they were in the fantasy world, there was the danger of them, if they got hurt, to be plunged into limbo and have their minds wiped. Yeah. That was an actual threat being inside the fantasy world. This movie really is a beautiful example of style over substance. It's, it's, it's literally a textbook example yeah. of style over substance. There is no substance to this movie whatsoever. By the time I finished watching it, I had gained nothing. I'd lost a good chunk of my evening. And you know, by the time we get to level three, World of Warcraft, I was kind of exhausted, actually. Yeah, you- I, I, wrote, I wrote that down. I'm like, man, I, I'm kind of tuckered out by this. This is too much. Yeah, you said that if they just ended it at level two, you would have been like, okay. Great. Great. I think that this movie is 
the perfect YouTube movie. Cut it up into little pieces and you only watch the scenes you want to watch. You don't sit through this thing as a whole. It's kind of like a marathon to sit through as a whole. Instead, you're just like, oh, I just want to watch the World War One scene. And then you just go straight to that. Then this movie is really cool. But when you're forced to sit through all these things in rapid succession, these things that mean nothing, and it's just a lot of noise, then what's the point? It's really kind of taxing. After the first two scenes, it didn't hold my attention. I, I, I was already focusing on other things, which is a horrible sign for a movie. Yeah, it's one of those same problems I had with Skyline and G.I. Joe. It's these big budget action movies and you stop and you think to yourself, how can a movie that has this much money thrown into it, this much special effects, this many talented people working at it, how can this be so boring? Is it that difficult to funnel a little bit of the production into writing a story? Oh, by the way, it's around this time that uh, Emily Browning's about to get raped again. Oh, great, cool. Great, great, great. great. Oh, I forgot to say, in the beginning where uh, Emily Browning first is brought to the burlesque house, they pretty much flat out say that they are grooming her so she she can give her virginity away to John Ham. How do you feel about that? God. <laughs> How, I want to. I'm, I'm going to touch on this now because a lot of the critiquing in this movie is done about misogyny. By the way, we're walking on deadly ground here, so we, please sheathe your swords and. <laughs> And let us like talk this out. We but. usually try to avoid this, these hot button sexism issues on this show, but I mean, it's kind of ingrained into the fabric of this movie. It's kind of hard not to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to try and choose my words carefully. This movie was one of the most insane examples of misogyny I've ever seen. How so? Every girl was dressed up in almost nothing. Their sole existence in this movie was to physically and sexually pleasure men slash do manual labor and get raped for messing it up. That was what they were for. And then what about the argument that they use their sexuality to, to empower them in yes. the prison? What about that? They're slaves. So then how could you use the sexuality to empower you when you are a slave, at, when you're there against your will? Like, this isn't a complicated or logically confusing issue in this movie. I think it's very straightforward. Well, we actually had a, a girl in the room with us and we asked her, what do you think? Misogyny at its finest or what? Her take on it was that it was empowering. Yeah, she was empowered by it. Which I was surprised because I went the complete other way. All right, so let's just move on to the next thing. Okay, so the ballet teacher essentially is flipping out. She has these this intense emotional relationship with all these characters. Yeah, like she's <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I don't understand she, how she does because she doesn't really know them. She's facilitating their rapes and <laughs> she's allowing them to get raped. And she's, she's making them pretty so they can go out and, and dance be, and be ogled by men. Yeah, she's enabling their Yeah, rape. she's part of the problem. The owner of the burlesque house is about to I guess she already knows how he is. He's about to kill a few of them to teach them a lesson. You really didn't teach them anything because you, you just killed them. Who gets killed? Amber and, and Blondie. And Blondie get, get killed in this scene. Then he essentially sends the other girls out to go dance. Carla Gugino's like... She then is also instructed to leave immediately so that it is now Big Boss Burlesque Man and Baby Doll in the room. And he... Oh, well, yeah, one last rape for the road. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Be be before you guys go, let me give you one last rape <laughs> for the road. He gives this analogy to toys and a sandbox, and it's really stupid. He, he essentially says, 
You know, a lot of guys come to this place, and I feel like a kid sitting in the corner of a sandbox. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're playing with my toys. And they're playing with my toys. That's... Well, you know what? Right now, I think I'm going to keep one toy, and I'm going to play with it myself. Yeah, this is pretty creepy. <laughs> it's like this really creepy insinuation that he's going to rape Emily Browning. You know, he starts Wow, to... and this is a PG-13 movie he marketed start... to 12-year-old boys. So the only two girls that are left now are Emily Browning and Abby Cornish. And they're going to escape. That's what all these things that they were trying to get, like the map was to help them know where to go. The key was to open the door. The fire was to make a distraction. Now the- Now the last ingredient. ingredient. It turns out that they go outside and there's guards blocking the front gate. Emily Browning then says, I know what the last thing is. I'm not the main character in this all along. It was me all along. You're the main character. Survive for all of us. Guess what? You just watched a movie that's two and a half hours long, and I'm really a supporting character. Gotcha. Yeah, so Abby Cornish escapes, but Emily Browning doesn't make it because John Hamm shows up and he actually lobotomizes her, which I thought that was kind of an interesting choice. Wow, this movie is draining. It was draining to, to watch. watch. It was draining, draining to, talk to talk about. about. Yeah, no, it's really hard to even talk about this movie. There's really not much to speak about. Other than like Zack Snyder's stylistic choices in this movie. I mean, there's really, only so really... much we can talk about how cool it looked. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. Oh. The suckers here are the poor mugs who leave their dollars at the door. And for what? A seedy, desaturated, overstimulated simulation of a real movie. Schlock treatment for comatose gamers and a bomb with a bright pink cherry on top. Tom Charity, CNN.com. An indecipherable, hypocritical mess that proves you can fill a movie with scantily clad women with big guns and it can still bore one to tears. Richard Roper, richardroper.com. And finally, Sucker Punch is what happens when a studio gives carte blanche to a filmmaker who has absolutely nothing original or even coherent to say. Lou Luminek, New York Post. Okay, Martin, this movie holds a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? This movie's horrible. Worse than 23%. I, I originally thought, like, when you first asked me what it got on Rotten Tomatoes, I thought it got, like, a 14 or a 10. This movie is boring, and it's physically exhausting to watch. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. You were right about the the YouTube idea for this movie. If you watch just the cutscenes, they're visually cool to see, but there's no story, and it's really hard to watch them in intervals longer than five minutes. As a movie, I'd pr- I'm going to give it a solid one out of five. Really? Yeah. Okay, so as for me, is it really that bad? I'm going to go, yeah, 23%. Yeah, it's but on the visuals alone, I, I won't go with a one. I'm going to go two out of five, just because it was so impressive visually. I feel like this is the kind of movie that if I watched it, over and over and over again. Kind of like what happened to me with Speed Racer. I like, oh, kind of, it might grow on me over time, maybe. Then again, Having to sit through it again is a pretty daunting task. Like, I really don't feel up to it. Like, I'd have to wait, like, five years. We haven't had to review a movie this tough in a long time. Yeah, and this, 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 this Not since, like, Waterworld, I don't think. I've had <laughs> less things to say. Like, even Skyline had more things to talk about. Yeah, than it did. And that's amazing, right? We got some voicemails about this movie. I'll play those for you right now. To listen to your messages, press 1. Hey guys, it's Marlene. I really love the show. I live in New Jersey. Hey guys, you know me. It's Jason for JVMail, the JVMail podcast, located on the web at jvmail.com. You got a question, we got an answer. Hi cuties, it's Jess from Ohio. This is Leo from Connecticut. Hey guys, it's Jenny, aka Boxomia. 
and calling from Connecticut. And uh, I heard that, number one, I just want to let you guys know that your laughs are what turns all the ladies on. I'm sure Nito Burrito and Iggy Star would both agree with, with me. I know them, so totally. Anyway, so, okay, you guys are doing Sucker Punch, and I've been waiting for this, and I'm so excited. Sucker Punch, and I have a very complicated history. I went to see the movie with my friends because I thought it would be a great idea. thought it would be interesting, but kicking babes, actions, steampunk robots, can't go wrong, right? And Emily Browning. I really wanted to like Sucker Punch. And you know what? I really did like Sucker Punch, as long as there was action going on on the big screen. As soon as people started talking, I literally fell asleep four times in the movie. Zack Snyder owes me $10, two hours of my life back, and my girl crush and Emily Browning. Because she's hot in this movie, but there's no plot. It doesn't make any sense. That movie, Sucker Punch, was awful. It is completely misogynistic towards women, and I don't understand what would you like to a sport for a fight that took place in your distant future. And the music covers for popular songs of the 80s and 90s really do not mix in there. Everyone, avoid this movie at all costs. Stay away from Sucker Punch. It's horrible. Don't waste it. Please avoid it. Best things about the movie, Zack Snyder can direct action. Uh, Jenna Blown and uh, Emily Brunning. This is the only movie that I can possibly think of in this whole entire year or in a long time where I was literally enraged as I was coming out of the theater. My friend kept trying to convince me that it was good, but I don't know why he was because all I could think was to see with the fire in my eyes and how angry I was about how stupid and contrived that plot was. When I got done watching it, I was angry, and then I was confused, because I thought maybe it was kind of like I wasn't smart enough to get where it was going, and then, like, I realized, no, it was a stinking pile of shit. To me, in the opening scene where Blue, I think that's his name, Blue, where they first meet him when he's an orderly, I think he looks incredibly like Jerry Lewis. It's crazy. I expect him to go, whitey, like, any minute. This movie makes me very angry. Talking about it now is making me angry again, and I just hope you guys rip this movie to shreds. Keep that in mind. Also, um, throwing this out there, it's Inception. Just think of it that way, and then you're going to love it. I don't understand why it's so bad, because Zack Snyder can make good movies. He's made good movies before, but this is, this is just not one of them. Sucker Punch is exactly that. It's a sucker punch that makes you vomit afterwards. End of message. Thanks for those voicemails, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. All right, let's read some listener mail. Little Dave writes in with his summary of Sucker Punch. Little Dave says, Sucker Punch can be summed up with one common phrase, style over substance. This isn't a movie, it's a video game. The whole point was to give a nerd boner to gamers who apparently didn't show up for the movie since it bombed so badly. I loved the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Great movie. Perfect remake and reimagining. Didn't go shot for shot for the original, but rather took the theme and made it a modern day version. 300 was very entertaining, but a rather crappy movie. It was a novelty. This is a pure video game. Snyder did The Watchmen before this, which was a very enjoyable movie, but released a video game at the same time. So I guess this was the next logical step, a movie and a video game in one. Chris writes in with something interesting to say about knowing, and this has got to be one of the best introductions to an email I've ever heard in my life. I was eating ribs in the tub while I listened to the podcast, and I thought of something. At the very end of the movie, Nick Cage has seen the kids raptured off the planet. He then meets up with his father, and the father says something like this. 
This is just a transition, son, meaning that they'll be taken to heaven. But everyone's already been taken to heaven. It's over, guys. Heaven was another planet. No soul, no afterlife for these dorks that are left behind to burn. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. P.S. When are we going to get a Nicolas Cage versus Dennis Quaid in an M. Night Shyamalan directed movie? That might create like a knowing-esque scenario in the real world. Create <laughs> 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 an explosion. Yeah. That's actually an interesting interpretation. I, I didn't think of it that way, that they were raptured off the planet. Hmm. They kind of were. They still believe that when they die, if they lived a pure life, they go to heaven. Okay. Okay. Thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to reach us, you can contact us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com. Now it's time for the question of the week. And the question of the week was, which director would you like to direct the movie of your life? And what would that movie be like? Miles writes in and says, great question. Took all of three seconds to think of an answer. The Coen brothers. If anyone can make my life story with its 1% of stark raving terror, 19% weirdness, and 80% uninterestingness interesting, it would be them. Second choice would be Michael Bay. My life could use a simpler storyline and a lot more explosions and chase scenes. Looking forward to episode 33. Where is that episode, everyone else? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Leo says, I would select Adrian Lin of Fatal Attraction in nine and a half weeks to direct a true story about me. <laughs> the story would show me having some fantasies with the right kind of love, which is what Lin had accomplished in his films. JB says, the only person fit to direct the story of my life is John Woo. Nobody else is more suited to capture all this diving, gunfights, and flying <laughs> doves to surround me on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Lucianne writes in and says, I'd probably go with Ed Wood. My life is such a comedy of errors that the only <laughs> that only he'd be able to properly do justice and make the movie that nobody will bother to see. <laughs> Anonymous says, Paul Verhoeven, because I wanted my life to be filled with all the leg crossing and naked dancers that he brought us in the erotic hit Basic Instinct and the camp classic Showgirls. Shannon says, I would definitely say Edgar Wright, just because his films have eerily mimicked my life, whether it be fighting off the seven evil exes of the woman of my dreams, my time as a no-nonsense cop in a crime-free village in England, <laughs> and of course, me and my friend's survival from a zombie outbreak. Just pepper in my freakish pop culture and movie knowledge and we're all set. Cricket says Alexander Payne would direct my life film. It would be very similar to his film Election. My high school experience was pretty rough and I thought it would be just my luck that I couldn't get it right as an adult. Grant says Joel Schumacher. Ignoring the whole Batman and Robin debacle, my life would be filled with the real world blues after graduating from college as in St. Elmo's Fire and then going on a rampage while heading over town in Falling Down. And finally Jake says I would totally pick Steven Spielberg. It wouldn't be like Aliens or Warfield, but he's an amazing director and he would do a fantastic job. Okay, thanks guys. As for this week's question of the week, once again, I threw this out to our Facebook friends to see if they had any interesting suggestions. Justin writes in and says, what movies have you seen that were amazing when you saw them in theaters, but they just did not translate well when you watched them at home? I feel like this movie was definitely one of those. I think that if I saw this in the theater, the visuals, the sound, and the overall experience of seeing it on such a large screen probably would have bumped it up, for me at least, visuals alone, probably to a two, and an entire star. 
I always feel that going to see a movie in the theater always bumps it up that 0.5%. It always nudges it up. Plus there's like a whole nostalgia aspect to going to a movie in the theater. Yeah, and seeing it with a crowd can kind of transform it. So a lot of comedy movies are way better when you see them in the theater. Like the Jackass movies are amazing in the theater. Once again, the question is, what's a movie that just does not translate to the small screen? Head on over to yesatbad.com, leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. Okay, now is the time to announce the choices for the next listener's choice poll. We're going to shift gears and go real sexy for our next listener's choice poll. So your choices are showgirls versus striptease. I want to put this out there. The easy choice is showgirls. It is. That's the the, easy choice. It's got the sex scene in it. Yeah, but guys, consider striptease, you know, like really think about it. Joel, you can't. I don't want to sway you. You are, you are. You're like, Because it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. What I want never wins. So I'm just saying, guys. Just you saying that is steering them. To go in the opposite direction, probably. Yeah, yeah, to go to showgirls. (laughs) Hey, everybody, vote for showgirls. (laughs) Everybody vote for striptease. There you go. Now they're just going to go to showgirls. Now they're just not going to vote at all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's for next week's movie, you know, we had a lot of fun discussing this metaphysical mind bender knowing, and we're going to go even deeper off the deep end with our next one, which is Richard Kelly's The Box, starring Cameron Diaz and James Marsden. I like the director. I feel like we're going to end up watching almost all this guy's movies by the end of this show's run. <laughs> well, you think we're going to watch Southland Tales? Of course we are. <laughs> I have that sitting right over there. <laughs> but yeah, but for now, we're going to do The Box. So to recap, head on over to YesThatBad.com where you can vote in the poll for the listener's choice. And the choices are Showgirls versus Striptease. We're getting real sexy here at Yes That Bad World Headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week when we will be watching The Box. And if you've already seen The Box, give us a call at 973-797-9324. Give us a call, leave us a little mini review, and we will play it on the show. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please click the like button or you can reach us at facebook.com slash yeah, it's that bad. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. You can also listen to our show on Stitcher. So head just head on over to stitcher.com and you can listen to our show on any other device out there any other heart desires any other electronic device yes i listen to it on my pacemaker i put (laughs) i put stitcher in there (laughs) one last thing before we go (laughs) i'm kind of curious about our audience out there i know that there's people out there that are from other countries i want you to check in so if you're listening to the show and you are not in the united states do me a favor. Send me an email at yasdatbad.com. If you're in another country, just sign in and say, hey, my name is so-and-so and I am in this country. I'm, I'm just curious to see how far this thing is reaching. Yeah, we got a guy from Dusseldorf. We got a girl from Senegal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to see who else is out there because like the stats say that people are listening to this thing in Baghdad and you know all these weird places. That's so, got to be like soldiers. If that's the case, I want to hear about that. Yeah. So if you are not in the United States, please contact us and tell us where you are listening to this show. We are really curious. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 
She has to go out and find five things. She needs a map. She needs fire, a knife, a key, and question mark. What could it be? It's a mystery flavored airhead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she just shaking. <laughs> She's like, um, what is this? <laughs> that was my favorite airhead, the white one. 